From New York, this is Democracy Now! I'm deeply distressed by today's announcement that Israel will initiate a complete siege of the Gaza Strip. Nothing allowed in, no electricity, food or fuel. The United Nations is condemning Israel's siege of Gaza, saying it's illegal under international law. This comes as the death toll continues to rise from Israel's massive bombing campaign following Hamas's unprecedented surprise attack on southern Israel that killed over 900 people in Israel. The death toll in Gaza has topped 770 overwhelming hospitals in the besieged territory. We'll go to Tel Aviv and Gaza for the latest. We were told to evacuate the eastern part of Khan Yunus and head to a safe place, but there is no safe place in the Gaza Strip. As you can see, the airstrikes are targeting everywhere. That and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Israeli airstrikes continue to rain down across the Gaza Strip, where the death toll has climbed to more than 770 people and is expected to rapidly rise as Israel masses troops for a possible ground invasion. Among the dead are dozens of Palestinians killed Monday as Israel bombed a packed marketplace in Jabalia, Gaza's largest refugee camp. Also struck, hospitals, a university, two U.N.-run schools sheltering families displaced by the fighting. More than 4,000 Palestinians have been injured. The U.N. Agency for Palestinian Refugees says violence has displaced nearly 200,000 people across the Gaza Strip, with that number expected to grow. Humanitarian aid workers report hospitals are overwhelmed with critical shortages of medicine, food and fuel. This is Salah Hanuna, a 73-year-old grandfather whose Gaza neighborhood came under attack. We were at home when we got information saying we have to leave immediately, to leave because our neighborhood is under attack. We took ourselves, our children, and grandchildren and daughters-in-law, and we ran away. I can say that we became refugees. We don't have safety or security. What's this life? This is not a life. Israel's government says the death toll from Hamas's weekend attack on southern Israel has climbed to 900. On Monday, an Israeli volunteer rescue organization said it had discovered more than 100 bodies in the Be'eri kibbutz near the Gaza border. Among those missing after the massacre is 74-year-old Canadian-Israeli peace activist Vivian Silver, who co-founded the Arab Jewish Center for Equality, Empowerment and Cooperation operation and was a member of Women Wage Peace. Her son fears she's been taken hostage by Hamas. Israel's military says it's retaking control of the Gaza separation barrier breached by Hamas and is laying landmines in the area. On Monday, an Israeli airstrike hit the Rafah border, crossing in southern Gaza, temporarily closing the territory's only link with Egypt. The crossing was reportedly struck again Tuesday, injuring two people, leaving a crater obstructing the movement of people and supplies across the border. This comes after Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant vowed to completely cut off the Gaza Strip and its two million inhabitants from the outside world. 
I have ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, and we will act accordingly. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres says he's deeply distressed by Israel's siege of Gaza. The U.N.'s top human rights official wrote in response, quote, the imposition of sieges that endanger the lives of civilians by depriving them of goods essential for their survival is prohibited under international humanitarian law, unquote. In southern Lebanon, armed fighters with Hezbollah fired a barrage of rockets at Israeli military positions Monday after Israel—Israeli shelling killed at least three Hezbollah fighters. An Israeli deputy commander was killed during the cross-border fighting, which followed a similar exchange of fire one day earlier that had no casualties. The fightings prompted fears of a wider war across the Middle East. On Sunday, a senior Hezbollah official pledged solidarity with the Palestinians who carried out attacks on Israel. The nation is with you. Our heart, minds, souls, our history and guns and rockets and all that we have is with you. A senior Hamas official Monday denied reports that Iran and Hezbollah helped plan the incursion into Israel from Gaza, but said Hamas's allies stood ready to join the battle. The Pentagon says it's moving ships and warplanes to the eastern Mediterranean, including the USS Gerald Ford, the Navy's most advanced aircraft carrier, along with its accompanying battle group. Meanwhile, the White House says it's rushing military aid to Israel, including air defense missiles, small-diameter bombs and machine gun ammunition. Israel is the largest cumulative recipient of U.S. foreign aid and is due to receive $3.8 billion in military aid this year. Today, President Biden's delivering a major address on the crisis in Israel and Palestine. Ahead of his speech, Biden signed a joint letter with the leaders of France, Germany, Italy and the United Kingdom, who wrote, quote, to express our steadfast and united support to State of Israel and our unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and its appalling acts of terrorism, unquote. The leaders added, quote, all of us recognize the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people. The letter makes no mention of Palestinian civilians killed and wounded by Israeli strikes on Gaza. Here in New York, hundreds of protesters rallied outside Israel's consulate in Manhattan Monday. This is Nardine Kiswani, a Palestinian-American activist who co-founded the group within our lifetimes. We demand an end to the siege and blockade of Gaza. We demand an end to the occupation. We demand an end to the colonization of Palestine and all Arab lands, including Syrian lands like the Golan Heights and Sheba Farms and Lebanon, which are also occupied by Israel. The funding that this government provides to this, to this state that is killing our people, that is using your tax dollars to do so. Three billion dollars a year is ten million dollars every single day. And this is just to the military. It's not just to the Israeli state. After headlines, we'll go to Tel Aviv and to Gaza for the latest. 
In Afghanistan, Taliban officials say the death toll is nearing 3,000. After Saturday's massive 6.3 earthquake devastated the western Herat province, hundreds of people are still missing. Their families have spent nights sleeping among the rubble of villages that were decimated by the quake and its aftershocks, hoping to find their loved ones as they dig through the wreckage with shovels and their hands. Bulldozers are being used to clear space for long rows of graves. These are two of the survivors. My two grandchildren are dead. They are buried over there. I lost my whole life. Everything is under the rubble. We want the government and other aid agencies to pay attention to us, to provide us with shelter and food so that the cold weather does not kill us. You can see our situation. They should give their full attention to everyone impacted. Afghanistan was already facing a spiraling humanitarian crisis worsened by U.S.-led sanctions on the Taliban, with at least 15 million people struggling to access food and other resources. The United Nations is allocating funds for aid, while Pakistan, Iran and China have all pledged to send food, medicine, tents and more funds. Iran and Pakistan have also offered to send rescue workers. In Guatemala, riot police clash with protesters Monday as nationwide demonstrations grow, demanding the resignation of Guatemala's attorney general and prosecutors who've launched mounting legal attacks against President-elect Bernardo Arevalo and his progressive Semilla party. Guatemalan Attorney General Consuelo Porras and her backers are accused of attempting to derail the democratic process that led to Arevalo's historic victory in August and prevent him from taking taking office this January. Porras on Monday called on the Guatemalan government to repress the peaceful protesters as indigenous leaders and supporters continue to block dozens of roads and streets across Guatemala. Arevalo has warned of worsening measures to attempt to quell the demonstrations, including the possibility of right-wing officials enacting a state of siege. In the United States, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said Monday he will no longer seek the Democratic Party's nomination and will run an independent campaign for president in 2024. RFK Jr. has drawn condemnation for spreading unfounded conspiracy theories about vaccines and over-racist and anti-Semitic remarks about COVID-19. On Monday, four of RFK Jr.'s siblings, Rory, Kerry, Joseph, and Kathleen wrote in a statement, quote, Bobby might share the same name as our father, but he does not share the same values, vision, or judgment. Today's announcement is deeply saddening for us. We denounce his candidacy and believe it to be perilous for our country, his siblings wrote. CBS News reports RFK Jr. was convinced to run by Trump's former campaign manager, Steve Bannon, who believed he would be a useful chaos agent in the 2024 race. In other presidential campaign news, another presidential candidate, civil rights activist and professor Cornell West, says he's no longer running to be the Green Party's presidential nominee and will instead also run as an independent. California Governor Gavin Newsom has vetoed a bill that would have capped out-of-pocket expenses for insulin at $35 for a 30-day supply. State Senator Scott Weiner, who authored the bill, slammed Newsom's veto as a, quote, major setback that will keep tens of thousands of diabetic Californians trapped in the terrible choice between buying insulin and buying food, unquote. A 2019 study found one in four U.S. diabetics skipped or reduced doses of insulin due to the high cost of the life-saving drug.
In related news, California Governor Gavin Newsom has also vetoed a bill that would have banned caste discrimination. The measure was introduced by Aisha Wahab, California's first Muslim and Afghan-American state senator. Activists still celebrated the widespread support the bill received despite Newsom's veto. Nirmal Singh of Californians for Caste Equality said, quote, the fact that caste oppressed people were given a platform to stand up for our basic human rights is a huge win in and of itself. Bills like SB 403 would have allowed us to stand safely in our caste oppressed identities, unquote. Fresno, California, last month became the second U.S. city to ban caste discrimination, joining Seattle. And the 2023 Nobel Prize in Economics has been awarded to Claudia Golden, a Harvard professor whose groundbreaking research widened the world's understanding of the impacts women have had in the workplace and the causes of gender pay discrimination. Golden is the first woman to win the prize as an individual rather than sharing it, and only the third woman to ever receive the Economics Nobel. In 1989, Golden became the first woman to be offered tenure in Harvard's economics department. She spoke from Harvard after news of her win. I work on long-term change in economic history, in particular the evolution of women's economic role and where we are today and the fact that there has been enormous change and yet there are still large differences between women and men in terms of what they do, how they're remunerated and so on. And the question is, why is this the case? And that's what the work is about. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago. Hi, Juan. Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Hospitals in Gaza are being overwhelmed as Israel continues a massive bombing campaign in response to Saturday's surprise attack by Hamas militants on southern Israel. The death toll inside Israel has surpassed 900. Meanwhile, authorities in Gaza say at least 770 Palestinians, including 140 children, have been killed so far in Gaza. Israel is also reporting the bodies of 1,500 members of Hamas have been found inside Israel. On Monday, Israel announced a complete siege of Gaza, pledging to block electricity, food and fuel from entering the territory, which has been under an Israeli blockade for 16 years. Hamas responded by threatening to begin killing hostages seized in southern Israel. At the United Nations, the U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, said, quote, the imposition of sieges that endanger the lives of civilians by depriving them of goods essential for their survival is prohibited under international humanitarian law, unquote. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres also condemned the Israeli siege. I'm deeply distressed by today's announcement that Israel will initiate a complete siege of the Gaza Strip, nothing allowed in, no electricity, food or fuel. The humanitarian situation in Gaza was extremely dire before these hostilities. Now it will only deteriorate exponentially. Medical equipment, food, fuel, and other humanitarian supplies are desperately needed, along with access for humanitarian personnel. Relief and entry of essential supplies into Gaza must be facilitated, and the UN will continue efforts to provide aid to respond to these needs. And I urge all sides and relevant parties to allow United Nations access 
to deliver urgent humanitarian assistance to Palestinian civilians trapped and helpless in the Gaza Strip. And I appeal to the international community to mobilize immediate humanitarian support for this effort. The UN-Palestinian Refugee Agency reports Israeli bombings have damaged 18 of its buildings in Gaza, including four schools and eight health care facilities. According to the U.N., more than 187,000 residents of Gaza have been displaced. Numerous residential buildings have been hit in the Israeli attack. The Shamalak family has been entirely wiped out. The entire family, 14 people, all under the rubble. We got out 12 people, and still the rest are under the rubble. We cannot get them out. Israeli forces hit the building without warning. They did not ask us to evacuate. They did not say anything. Suddenly we heard the airstrike and we ran to the building. We found out that it collapsed entirely. Meanwhile, more details are emerging of the horror that took place Saturday in southern Israel during the unprecedented surprise Hamas attack. More than 100 bodies have been retrieved from Be'eri, an Israeli kibbutz near Gaza. That's about 10 percent of the kibbutz's total population. A number of residents from there remain unaccounted for, including the well-known 74-year-old Canadian-Israeli peace activist Vivian Silver, who is a member of Women Wage Peace and a former board member of the Israeli human rights group Batsela. Her son, Yonatan Zaygen, fears she has been taken hostage by Hamas. He spoke to ABC News. I think this is exactly what she was working to prevent. Um, all, all kind of war. Um, it's... You know, it's not uh, completely surprising, although it's very overwhelming, that we got to this point. Um, our two, these two people have been in a state of war for so long. Um, that it, uh, this is the outcome. And this is what she was working to try to prevent. Uh, and I, w- I was raised on that, on those values and on those um, aspirations. We begin today's show in Gaza, where we're joined by Rafat Alarir. He's a Palestinian academic and activist, the editor of the book Gaza Writes Back, co-editor of Gaza Unsilenced. In 2021, he wrote an op-ed in The New York Times headlined, My Child Asks, Can Israel Destroy Our Building If the Power Is Out? That was two years ago, Rafat. Describe what's happening right now in Gaza. Thank you, Amy, for having me, and thank you for this coverage. Uh, what's happening is what uh, Israel has always uh, worked uh, to achieve. Israeli leaders and officials are speaking about sending Gaza to the Stone Ages. Uh, Israeli officials are speaking about destroying Gaza. They are focusing on damage and destruction rather than precision. Uh, we speak about whole blocks destroyed, all government buildings, uh, 20 UN facilities, including schools and clinics, all the roads, all the infrastructures, all the roads leading to the major hospitals, especially the one in uh, uh, in, the, in the heart of Gaza City, were, were destroyed. So Israel bombs Palestinian families as they sleep, as they stay in the safety, so to speak, of their home, and then bombs the ways that lead uh, 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 help and aid and ambulances to these 
uh, areas and then bombs the ambulances that try to, to, to help those people. That's why we have about one uh, about 800 Palestinian casualties. We speak about uh, more than uh, f- uh, f- uh, 400 children, women and elderly people. Most of them were killed in the safety of their of their homes without any prayer uh, warning. Not that any warning would justify this Israeli uh, brutality. Israeli uh, 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 war criminals are speaking about Second World War level of destruction against against the Gaza Strip. What is happening in Gaza is complete and utter extermination of the non-Jewish population in occupied uh, Palestine. As you mentioned, Israel ordered a medieval hermetic siege from air and sea. Israel has also just bombed the only way out through Egypt, the Rafah, the Rafah crossing. The only way out is uh, for uh, what's happening, what we are uh, foreseeing is uh, slow starvation, slow genocide. Maybe Israel is going to push us all into the sea. And I think what is making it even more difficult than before is that the whole world, not even lip service, all uh, American and European uh, countries and politicians are rushing to pledge allegiance to Israel and to Netanyahu. Israeli uh, American uh, politicians, uh, American uh, presidential hopefuls are literally calling for for uh, for genocide. American mainstream media is not pushing uh, back against Israeli officials calling for the collateral damage of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians uh, in Gaza. Uh, uh, why is this happening? Because we refuse to live under occupation. We refuse to live in, 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 in total submission. We want freedom. We want this occupation to end. This is, this is not a state of war, as uh, one of your guests just mentioned. This is a state of occupation that started over uh, seven, uh, 75 years that started with the, uh, uh, the the British uh, Empire giving Palestine to the Zionist uh, movement in ni- in 1917. And Rafat, you mentioned the uh, the Gaza's border with Egypt. What has been the response of the Egyptian government to that border crossing, which, as we understand, was also bombed by Israel as well? I, uh, I I'm not following closely because we we barely have any electricity or uh, internet. Uh, but what I heard is that. Uh, the, the, the Rafah border is now closed, so people cannot leave. And also, when we talk about people leaving, very few people in Gaza have visas or passports that would allow them to leave. I'm reading a, a report just now that uh, Israel is even warning to strike any aid coming from uh, from the Egyptian side into Gaza. So with, with no food, no electricity and no water, we can only expect what Israel has been working to achieve, what Israel and Israeli officials and politicians are promising now. Some are calling for uh, uh, striking Gaza with with a nuclear bomb. Can you imagine that? And many other Israeli officials are using Nazi discourse and Nazi language, talking about Palestinians as savages and animals that need to be exterminated and that Gaza needs to be turned into a parking lot. This is what we are we are dealing with. We are dealing with a systematic, uh, structural, colonial uh, uh, attempt to annihilate and exterminate the Palestinians with the aid and support of the West and American tax uh, money. America is sending uh, eight 
billion dollars. Uh, This is really insane. Uh, America is also sending warships and bombs and bullets for Israel to kill more and more Palestinians. And what are you asking for people in other parts of the world and other governments to do? I think the governments are uh, uh, are not only complicit or giving uh, uh, the green light, they are participating actively. The shameful statement from uh, 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 France, Italy, UK and G- Germany and America the, the other night was a hideous attempt to uh, justify uh, Israeli uh, uh, massacres and genocide taking place in, in Gaza. We have no hope in these countries. We have no hope in these governments at least now we the only hope we have is in the growing popular support in in america in the movements that uh, of or the, the 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 movements the, the the human rights and the rights movements in 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 america and across europe uh, to to take to the streets uh, to pressure their uh, politicians into uh, uh, putting an end uh, to this uh, uh, dark dark episode of not only uh, the history of the Middle East, but also the history of, of humanity. If people are asking how uh, was the Holocaust allowed and other genocides in Africa and across the world, now you can see this live on TV, live on social media. Palestinians, whole blocks destroyed, hospitals, schools, uh, businesses. We, we are speaking about uh, uh, thousands and thousands of, of housing units uh, destroyed by uh, by, by Israel. So my message to the free people of the world is to move to pressure, to mobilize, and to take to the streets. Rafat Aladir, you are the father of six. How old are your children? And can you describe uh, what it's like to live there right now? Now, Israel says that it has um, uh, 1,500 dead Hamas fighters. That's outside of Gaza. The number inside Gaza is nearing 800. Um, Describe the bombing strikes now. This is before uh, Israel does what it's threatening to do, which is uh, lay complete siege. They've said they've cut off electricity, they've cut off gas, food, etc., but actually ground troops moving in. Like I said, this has been systematically happening for over seven seven decades. It was uh, the noose around Gaza's uh, neck was tightened 15 years ago, and it's being tightened even further now. Uh, the, the the situation is uh, unspeakable. Can, you can't describe what's happening in in words. Uh, uh, we we speak about thousands, hundreds, and thousands of Israeli bombs uh, and shells targeting all areas of the Gaza Strip. The kids can't sleep, the kids can't eat, the kids can't even speak. Most of the time, they're just mute, silent, uh, shaking out of fear, sometimes whimpering because of how close the, the bombs are wherever you are in, uh, uh, in Gaza. And again, the, 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 how the houses shake every time there is a bomb uh, around. And this is happening again all over Gaza Strip. Israel is telling people, is pushing people forcibly to leave uh, out of their uh, uh, homes and, uh, uh, and asking, urging them to go to certain places like the city center or the UN places, shelter, uh, shelters. And then Israel bombs the roads leading to these areas and bombs uh, these crowded areas. Yesterday there was a massacre. Israel killed about 60 Palestinians 
in Jabalia refugee camp in a local market where there is a, a UN school people people taking shelter there. So whether it is my my kids or any Palestinian kid or any Palestinian, no one is safe. No place is safe. Israel is bombing everywhere. Israel is lying. And, and that's something. Thank you for uh, highlighting this, that Israel sometimes, once every 100 times, 1,000 times, it sends a message warning 10 minutes before and asks, for example, a huge building of uh, 50 uh, housing units to leave. And you can't take anything with you if you have only this limited time uh, 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 to leave. And when uh, people leave, wherever they go, they will be chased and hunted down by uh, uh, by, by the bombs. These are, again, barbar- barbaric, and these are an extension to, to Israeli attempts to uh, exterminate Palestinians, whether in Gaza, in Jerusalem, or in the West Bank. Rafat, let me ask you about that. You say Israel gives a warning, and now Hamas is saying if they don't get that warning before a building is bombed, they will kill one hostage uh, for each one of those um, bombings. Uh, can you talk about how much support there is for Hamas within Gaza, the government of Gaza? Amy, I'm sorry, who translated that message for you? The message was clear. It was a threat, and it clearly stated with the the bare minimum of humanity that Israel sends a warning before it bombs a family home. And when we speak about homes in Gaza and in, in Palestine in Gaza, we speak about houses that have like five or six or even seven uh, housing units, flats, where ge- three generations live in the, in the same place. That's why Israel exterminated more than 30 families. Most of their family members were were killed because it bombs without sending a message. The message from Hamas was clear. Send a warning before you bomb, meaning don't bomb Palestinian uh, Palestinian homes with, with, with the kids and the women and the elderly and the young people inside. So this is what's going on. And people in Gaza want to be safe, that we don't want to be, to be killed. And it seems that this, this is a desperate call for mediators to interfere. Stop this. And it's already... Uh, it already happened that Israel, and I was saying this the other day, that Israel seems to be uh, uh, bent to kill Israeli ac- uh, captives, Israeli soldiers held in Gaza more than they are interested in killing Palestinian fighters and Palestinian children because Israel does not want to negotiate, does not want to release the almost 5,000 Palestinian political Palestinian prisoners in Israeli uh, prisons. So the idea about uh, uh, the uh, the framing of this is is incorrect is is inaccurate. And Raf- at the same Rafat, time, I do want to is- clarify what you said. You said that uh, Hamas has threatened to kill a hostage if Israel doesn't warn that it is going to bomb a residential home. Exactly. Is that much to ask? I don't think this is much to ask, and I think this is more of a desperate call to save both. Palestinian children and families, and at the same time, the Israeli uh, 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 soldiers uh, uh, kept in uh, kept in Gaza. Now, w- what's happening here is that Israel is uh, uh, sending disinformation and fabrication all over the internet on social media, and many mainstream media media agencies and uh, outlets are swallowing and and repeating these military lies against Palestinians to demonize the Palestinians. And that's why we see so many Americans, sadly, especially uh, officials and politicians, uh, presidential hopefuls, 
calling for genocide against Palestinians because there is misinformation. But at the same time, they think that if they if they do this, if they say this, it's going to bring them more money from the Israeli lobby in Washington, D.C. And Rifat, you told the BBC recently that the scenes right now in Gaza are, quote, exactly like the Warsaw ghetto uprising. Could you elaborate on that? Exactly. If you have seen the pictures from Gaza, we speak about complete devastation and destruction to universities, to schools, to mosques, to businesses, to clinics, to roads, infrastructure, to water lines. Uh, uh, if uh, I Googled this morning, uh, war, uh, Warsaw Ghetto pictures, and I got pictures, I couldn't differentiate. Somebody tweeted four pictures and asked to to tell which one is from Gaza and which one is, is from the Warsaw Ghetto. They are remarkably the same because the perpetrator is almost using the same strategies against uh, a minority, against uh, the oppressed the, the people, the battered uh, people, the besieged uh, people, whether it was in a Warsaw Ghetto, the Jews in Warsaw Ghetto in the past, or Palestinian Muslims and Christians in in the Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. So uh, the, the similarity is uncanny. Israel, uh, Israeli officials using Nazi language discourse to, even there was a tweet from the Jewish Congress that says the number of Jews that died on, on Saturday is more than the number of, of Jews that died on any given day during the Holocaust. And this is not Holocaust revisionism, it's Holocaust denial because this is objectively and statistically incorrect completely and utterly. The Israelis, the Zionist movement, the Israeli government is willing to abuse and engage in Holocaust denialism in order to justify what's going to happen, what is happening and what's going to happen in uh, in Gaza in the coming hours and, uh, and and days. I think this is dangerous and this has to be stopped. The similarities between Gaza and the, the, the Warsaw Ghetto should be a waking up call to all free people around the world. Rafat al we want to thank you for being with us. Palestinian academic, activist, editor of the book Gaza, writes back, co-editor of Gaza and Silence, speaking to us from Gaza City. When we come back, we go to Tel Aviv to speak with the Israeli journalist, the conscientious objector, Haggai Matar, back in 20 seconds. will know what you haven't told. His present will be past. You'll ride the time to another state of mind that won't last. Because he'll grow and die. And they would set him free. Yet I shouted, these children are I. The child will grow and fall and crawl until he would not feel upon them purple gods. Children are I by Rasha Nahas. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Israel's continuing its bombardment of Gaza City has extended its mobilization of reservists. For more, we're joined by Haggai Matar, an Israeli journalist and activist who serves as the executive director of Plus 972 magazine. That's the area code of Israel and the occupied territories. Haggai Matar is a conscientious objector who refused to serve in the Israeli army. His new piece is headlined, Gaza's shock attack has terrified Israelis. It should also unveil the context. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Haggai. As we speak to you in Tel Aviv, tell us the context that you feel is so important. 
Thank you, Amy. Um, I think when I wrote that piece already on Saturday, um, the shock was just in its initial phases. We have not yet learned the entire scope of the horror um, of the atrocities in the south of Israel, the, the hundreds of people who were massacred in their homes and at a music festival, um, just uh, entire communities decimated. Those stories were just seeping through gradually, and the shock of of that tragedy, that, that atrocity, um, was just beginning to land and what I felt important to say while also recognizing this collective shock and the, the dreadfulness of this attack was also to understand the history of this, how we as Israelis for many years have become, uh, have developed a sense of immunity that in the context of Gaza wars, for example, Israel could bomb Gaza as it is doing now, and uh, wipe out entire families, destroy entire neighborhoods, uh, not be held accountable. And when Gazans throw rockets back, um, almost all of them are intercepted by the Iron Dome. So the, the casualty rate between Israelis and Palestinians in these past wars over the past decade or so has been 1 to 100, 1 to 200 or so. Uh, just now, actually, there were air sirens here in Tel Aviv and I didn't move from my desk because I know there's Iron Dome and I feel pretty safe. That feeling of safety was cracked uh, and, and went away um, with one whiff of, of that attack uh, on Saturday. But it was important for me to remind Israelis and people abroad that that feeling of defenselessness is one that Palestinians have experienced for the past few decades, um, definitely people in Gaza who have been attacked routinely by Israel. So when we think about uh, how we understand the, the Hamas attack without justifying it, but also recognizing that it is not um, unprovoked or unilateral on the one hand, and also as we think about the next steps, we need to understand there is no military solution. These recurring attacks on Gaza bring nothing but death and destruction uh, and no hope for any of us. And Haggai, about this issue that's been raised, that this was an unprovoked or unilateral attack, uh, you've written uh, that the, quote, the Israeli army is routinely raiding Palest into Palestinian cities and refugee camps. The far-right government uh, is giving settlers an entirely free hand to set up new illegal outposts and launch pogroms on Palestinian towns and villages with soldiers accompanying the settlers and killing or maiming Palestinians trying to defend their homes. Could you talk about what the, how the Palestinians have experienced this new uh, right-wing government, especially uh, this extreme right-wing government in Israel in their daily lives? Sure. So I, I think, first of all, for context for that as well, uh, we need to remember nothing about what this government is doing is entirely new. The attacks on Gaza, the, the settlement expansion, the attacks on Palestinian communities in West Bank, none of this is unprecedented. This far-right government is only taking things one step further, which you know, needs to be contextualized, but also we need to recognize the places where this, things are getting worse. And we are definitely seeing, since the election of this government, a much freer 
and force settlers to do basically whatever they want in the West Bank. There's absolutely no guardrail, uh, no limitations on what settlers can do. If they want to attack Palestinian communities and set their houses ablaze, they will have soldiers accompanying them and uh, if they want to set up new out outposts on private Palestinian land, they can do that. If they want to go into the middle of Nablus uh, to pray in the middle of, of one of the biggest Palestinian cities in the West Bank, they can do that, and soldiers will accompany them and protect them. So, so what Palestinians are feeling, very much related to what I was saying before, is being defenseless because the Palestinian police is not allowed and, and does not offer them defense. And when they try to defend themselves, uh, soldiers would shoot them to death. So, so that is the reality that Palestinians have been feeling for a very long time and increasingly over the past few months. And this whole issue of how the United States and uh, and the other countries, major countries in the world, have essentially uh, ignored uh, the uh, unresolved uh, Palestinian-Israeli question now for years, hoping to negotiate just with the governments of the region and not deal with the central issue. Uh, what do you? Uh, how do you think that this has played a role in? in uh, the de the desperate attacks now of the of Hamas uh, into Israel I think it is very much connected as we're talking about the tools Palestinians have for resistance and the bargaining chips they can bring with them to the negotiating pa table um, Palestinians never had too much to offer um, basically they're asking Israel, rightly, uh, to to leave their territory, to have an independent state. Um, but all they can offer in return is the lack of violence, uh, so peace. And they used to have this other bargaining chip, which is if you ha make peace with us, you'll get as a bonus the entire Arab world, the entire Muslim world that was committed uh, at least um, outspokenly uh, committed to um, supporting Palestinians and not normalizing relations with Israel. Ever since the Abraham Accords championed by President Trump in 2020, in 2020 2021, um, and now with the normalization deal that is being brokered by President Biden with Saudi Arabia, um, Palestinians are seeing those last bargaining chips just slipping away. Netanyahu has always said, we can have peace with the Arab world without Palestinians. We could just go over their heads. And Arab nations uh, uh, and countries and governments and the U.S. government in brokering this have proved Netanyahu right. Uh, so Palestinians without those abilities are seeing fewer and fewer options uh, to claim their just cause against Israeli apartheid. Uh, I don't think that justifies massacring hundreds of people in their homes and destroying entire communities of civilians. Um, but at the same time, I understand the context in which Palestinians are feeling more and more desperate and pushed to the point of doing these things. Um, Hagai Matar, you are a conscientious objector in the Israeli military. You refuse to serve. Um, can you talk about overall Israeli reaction right now? Um, <clears throat> and are Israelis concerned about the total siege of and possible in ground invasion of Gaza? which the U.N., by the way, uh, the siege has called illegal. No, not, not at all. Um, it's actually 
deeply troubling to see um, how much rejoicing there is in, in the siege, in the attacks. We're seeing people, even people associated with the center and with the left, uh, talking Haaretz journalists, uh, for example, not all of them, obviously, but some uh, have said this is a time to cause great damage to Gaza. This is time to uh, extract many deaths in Gaza. Um, so, so it is very, very troubling and painful to see how out of a very understandable feeling that I myself also share of shock, of defenselessness, of the tragedy of the, of the massacres in the South, uh, people are taking that and translating that into saying the only answer is revenge. I think it is a very uh, dark mirror to look at when you understand that these same atrocities committed by Hamas came out of that feeling of anger, anguish, uh, and dread of Israeli attacks. And now, as a response to that, to those atrocities, Israelis are supporting their own atrocities again against Gaza. Um, and this seems like a dead end, uh, almost literally, for, for both of us. Hagan Attar, Israeli journalist, activist, executive director of Plus 972 magazine, Israeli-Jewish conscientious objector. He refused to serve in the Israeli army. Next up, to Palestinian journalist and writer Mohammed El-Kurd. Back with him in 20 seconds. <laughs> Jasmine by Hudasfur. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. We're joined now by Mohammed El-Kurd, Palestinian journalist, poet, writer, correspondent for The Nation, culture editor at Mondo Weiss, born and raised in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. Um, Mohammed, can you comment overall on this situation right now and what you think needs to happen? I honestly, Mohammed, Mohammed, you're muted. We cannot hear you. I, I think. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. I honestly do not know what to what, what to tell you. It it feels to me as though we are living in the very first few days of an unfolding genocide. I mean, not only are um, Israeli politicians and journalists alike and global forces calling for the annihilation of the Gaza Strip, for for bombing it into the Stone Ages, declaring that they are interested in inflicting damage and not really precision, um, but these these images that we are these images that we are seeing um coming outside of of, of the Gaza strip are are so harrowing and devastating that um one wonders one wonders how much bloodshed how much palestinian death is necessary for people to realize that violence begets violence and that the occupation and the colonization of palestine the the, the blockade of the gaza strip needs to end for all of this violence to end i mean i am 
incredibly angered that uh, word of mouth, unverified reports of quote-unquote rape and decapitation, um, which obviously draw on Islamophobic tropes, have garnered more and more uh, political and global outrage than those very images, than, and, uh, than a video of a, a nurse announcing and, cream, and screaming in, dist- in distress that her husband has been uh, killed in an Israeli airstrike. And, you know, the PR, the PR strategy of the Israeli regime throughout all of this has been to invoke those Islamophobic sentiments, uh, like calling it Israel's, quote-unquote, Israel's 9-11. And media outlets and journalists who have taken on this framing without any questioning not only work to to equate the violence of a besieged, politically isolated group like Hamas with the violence of Al-Qaeda and ISIS and so on, but they are also doing the dirty work for Israelis. They are preemptively justifying the genocide of hundreds and thousands of Palestinians. They are um, justifying a a brutal uh, onslaught that is about to come globally, and that should be alarming. I mean, we've, we have seen this unfold uh, during uh, 9-11. We have seen this unfold in history. Um, the utilization of Islamophobia, the, the dehumanization, the constant dehumanizations of Palestinians, the refusal to see them as human beings who have the right to resist and to defend themselves and to be angry and to, and to want the right to self-determination and to want to not want to live in siege anymore. All of this refusal to see all of this is contributing um, is contributing to this oncoming onslaught where Israeli politicians can just call Palestinian human animals, um, can just say that they are not really concerned with with uh, saving anyone, can threaten to bomb um, aid envoys, uh, envoys coming in from Egypt. This should be concerning to everybody around the world. It is terrifying times we are living in. And th- this whole issue hostage situation as well. Uh, Hamas has reported that in one of the bombing attacks, some of the hostages were killed along with those uh, Hamas militants who were guarding them. Uh, What do you think the Israeli government posture will continue to be on this issue of the hostages? I mean, so far, um, Hamas has Hamas has said that um, they are willing to release all of the female detainees uh, uh, if if Israel is going to release the 36 Palestinian female prisoners currently lingering in um, Israeli prisons, but the Israeli government has refused to negotiate. In fact, Israeli ministers like Smotrich have said that they um, could not care less about uh, the, the hostages and their goal is to inflict as much damage as possible on the besieged Gaza Strip. And I also want us to get one thing correctly. Um, holding two million people under blockade is a very serious hostage situation. This is this is what we're dealing with. The fact that the Israeli regime has been holding Palestinians in Gaza as hostages to exert political pressure on groups like Hamas. The fact that a quarter, 25% of Palestinian prisoners held in Israeli prison are held without detention, um, with, uh, are held without trial or um, charges is a hostage situation. The fact that even in death, Palestinian corpses are held in um, mortuary chambers um, to be used as bargaining chips as is a hostage situation. But time and time again, we are shown by the world it's double standards. We are told that the only the only violence that matters is the violence inflicted upon Israelis. And the only lives that matter are the lives of Israelis. Palestinians have been living as hostages for the past 16 years in this blockade that must 
must end. And it is incumbent upon us as journalists to make this context clear. We just have 30 seconds, Mohamed El-Kurd. Um, you've been in the United States a lot. Of course, you live in Sheikh Jarrah. Um, President Biden's about to give an address. What do you want to hear him say? Well, I, I, I know what he is going to say um, about his uh, biggest biggest ally in the region. Um, but I also know that my family and my neighborhood have experienced settler attacks who've who they throw Molotov cocktails overnight. I know that settler violence has been intensifying both in the old city of Jerusalem and all around the occupied West Bank and even in 1948 territories. And I know that lip service from Biden is not gonna, is not going to address it. But the world needs to know that as long as the occupation persists, as long as the apartheid system persists, resistance to it is going to persist. Um, it is not a difficult equation to understand. People deserve dignity and freedom and to live safety, safely in their homes. Mohammed Al-Kurd, I want to thank you for being with us, Palestinian journalist, writer, correspondent for The Nation, culture editor at Mondo Weiss. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. To look at what Israel's war on Palestinians after the Hamas attack could mean for the broader Middle East, we end today's show with Shibli Talhami, professor of peace and development at the University of Maryland, senior fellow at the Center for Middle East Policy, co-editor of the book, The One State Reality, What is Israel? Palestine. Uh, Professor Talhami, thank you so much for being with us. You're the Anwar Sadat Professor of Peace and Development at the University of Maryland, a Palestinian-American professor. Um, I'm going to start with that same question. Uh, what President Biden has said so far and what you want to hear him say right now, um, as we speak, the United Nations has called Israel's siege, total blockade of uh, Gaza, illegal. Um, you know, the defense minister is saying no food, medicine, electricity, water coming into Gaza. Your response? Well, you know, I, I, I know when uh, uh, the first day um, of the Hamas attack, um, President Biden um, called the Israeli prime minister uh, and uh you know, gave him full empathy and support. And he said, full stop, we're behind you. Um, that's understandable in that moment. Uh, that was a moment of incredible vulnerability in Israel. Um, people helplessly watching what's happening to their loved ones. Uh, and it was also a, a paradigm shift actually taking place at the same time uh, about the nature of their superiority in that context, uh, about the uh, uh, the role of their army, the role of their um, security. So it was understandable that he would show affinity with them to assure them, really the public more than the government, to say, we stand with you. Fine. But he has to go beyond that. Uh, targeting civilians and recklessly endangering them is unacceptable. It doesn't matter whether it is uh, uh, Palestinian victims, or Israeli victims, or any victims. There is no cause that justifies reckless of civilians. And, uh, you know, we know in times of war like this, when emotions are really, really high, we understand that people have been there, can understand how hearts harden. There's demonization. There's an urge for vengeance. And if the president of the United States, the one who has the most influence from the outside on this issue, doesn't stand up for the moral principle that ought to be central here. It is a problem. That's a, that's something that a, a political leader must do in time 
of Christ is like this. And I would even go a little further than that. Um, you know, it's one thing to say you support Israel. Another thing to be trusting uh, and giving unlimited support for whatever they do. We know this is the most extreme Israeli government we've had uh, in, in perhaps in history. Uh, we know that some of them are calling for some outrageous uh, outcomes in the Israeli-Palestinian situation. They have failed their own people. They couldn't defend, um, you know, uh, against uh, Hamas uh, in their own communities it took them several days to, um, and it, it might not be over yet. Um, the Israeli public is asking questions of whether they can trust the government, whether they can trust the, the military, whether they can trust the intelligence. Can we trust them to do the sort of things that they might want to do uh, that implicate us in the end, not just in terms of support, but the consequences that might happen that can draw the U.S. in? So I think I would want the President of the United States, to be very clear about uh, the the moral issue as well as uh, the, the idea that the United States has some interest that's going to have to look after. And, Professor, I wanted to ask you, in terms of this, uh, this uh, vow of the Israeli government uh, to, uh, to eliminate Hamas uh, completely and uh, to do whatever is necessary uh, to uh, to take control of uh, Gaza. The long-term implications of this. First of all, there are 2.2 million people in Gaza. The ability of the Israeli army to continue to occupy and control that territory is really... It's it's far-fetched, not to mention that there are another two million Palestinians in the West Bank and two million uh, Palestinians and Arabs within Israel itself. Uh, we're talking about the impact on those populations and the rest of the Arab world of a long assault and occupation of Gaza. Uh, it, your expectation of what this could lead to? Well, first of all, let's start with the concept um, it is dealt with as if it's a security problem emanating from one party, when in fact this is a deep political problem. There is no military solution, even if you destroy people and kill more people. Israel has a destructive power that is incredible. I mean, uh, we're seeing some of that now. But that never in the past has solved the problem, and it won't again. It might postpone it a little bit more, but it's going to erupt in some form or another, even aside from the humanitarian disaster. So no, there is no solution, even if you create separate from the obvious and immediate and uh, central humanitarian issue, uh, there is no political solution that could come out of destroying Hamas. Um, Israel would then be left with another uh, you know, area of anarchy. And also, by the way, as this progresses, we can't be sure that Hezbollah is not going to be drawn in. Hezbollah doesn't want to go in, in my opinion, right now into the fight for a variety of reasons of its own interest. But we see the pressure. And as the pressure increases, uh, that could draw Hezbollah in. And that then you have an expanded war, both uh, that would be troublesome for Israel, but also for Lebanon. Uh, so, no, I don't think there is a, um, a military solution to this problem. This is not a military challenge. This is not a deterrence challenge. This is a political problem, uh, and the occupation has to be addressed. And I would under, I would expect at some point the president is not going to say that today. He's not going to make that link. But in the end, there is we have to um, find a path to end the occupation. 
And we want to thank you so much for being with us. We want to continue this discussion and post it at democracynow.org. University of Maryland professor of peace and development, Shibli Talhami, senior fellow at the Center for Middle East Policy. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez for another edition of Democracy Now!